Coils and Conversations with Pamela J. Booker, Episode 1. Who am I? The girls dumb sugar? On this episode, I'm going to give you a little bit of information about who Pamela is. So come on in and get to know me. All right, what's up everybody? What's up beautiful people? Thank you for joining me for Coils and Conversations. Um, I am here just to give you a tidbit of who I am, where I come from, and how I am to be the human I am today. So this won't be long, so tune in. I was born in beautiful Beaufort, South Carolina. It's called the Low Country. It is in between Charleston, South Carolina and Savannah, Georgia. In Beaufort, we have a really, really rich West African culture, and we are named the Geechee Gullah people. We have our own language, we have our own traditions, the way we cook our food is more closely to people on the Caribbean islands and people in West Africa. So Beaufort and Charleston, that was like the number one port in the South for enslaved Africans. So a lot of our history, our culture, the way we eat, the way we dance, everything is so ingrained in us because of the number of Africans that would come into the port of Charleston. And the way Beaufort, South Carolina and Charleston was set up, uh, if you were a wealthy landowner, you usually had land in beautiful Beaufort. It is it's a spectacular place, despite the history. So um, my entire family, both my mother and my father's side, is from beautiful Beaufort, South Carolina. And I can trace my roots back on my paternal side all the way back to 1715. Can you believe that? 1715. Right in Beaufort, South Carolina. So our family has pretty much been there since we were brought here to this country. Um, I am proud of where I'm from. I'm proud of my culture. I'm proud of the language that we speak. Sometimes I might dive into it, but um, yeah. So I am proud Geechee Gullah. I'm a Geechee Gullah gal. We eat rice every day. My grandma used to have a saying that your um, we call your pot ain't cook unless you got a pot of rice on the stove. So that means like no matter what you're cooking, you have to have a pot of rice on the stove and we call it a pot of rice. So um, I come from a large family. All right. Huge. My dad has 10 siblings. My grandmother had 11 children and um, I have nine uncles and one auntie on my dad's side. And I have uh, a lot of uncles and aunties on my mom's side too. And of my immediate family my daddy he has nine kids (laughs) y'all don't say nothing about my daddy I will cut you about my daddy but anyway my daddy has always been an amazing provider Um, I grew up with my brothers and sisters uh, because we all live in the same town so um, I have three older brothers uh, brother and sister my brother passed in 2014 that's gonna be another conversation and I have two older sisters and then um, 
with my mom, my mom and dad is my brother, my older brother, Derek. I'm the middle child uh, and my little sister, Isha. So it was three of us that grew up in the house. We will always have our other siblings over, but it was mainly three of us growing up in the house. Um, I grew up, uh, I was born in 1978, so I'm an 80s, 90s baby. You know, we did the time when kids went outside and played. So I grew up on hopscotch, double dutch, and we, you know, we country, so picking blackberries, eating sour weeds, stuff like that. Like, I really had a great childhood, like with the aesthetics of fresh air, you know, food every day, everybody cooked. And if you didn't cook, you could go to somebody's house who cooked. Um, The way we live, even, it was like... um, West Africans and you know we all lived around each other my grandmother lived down the street my grandmother's sister my great aunts lived down the street like everybody lived right in this place called Seabrook and um just growing up it was like it was always a party going on it was always gatherings we always had like some type of function going on whether it was a cookout crab boil oyster roast something going on softball games it was always always something going on in our community so it was truly a a great place to grow up playing basketball baseball um jumping double dutch uh feeding the hogs like i'm that kid that had to we had to put our scraps in the slot bucket that's what we call it (laughs) and then uh we had to feed the hogs I did not know that, you know, during the Thanksgiving time and Christmas that we would then eat those hogs. So I was against eating ham during the holiday season because I didn't want to eat my friends that I named and fed, you know, for months. But anyway, that's some good old country living. So um, one thing about my childhood, though, is that I became a mom at 16 years old. Yep. I became a mother at 16 years old. I got pregnant at 15 and had my son at 16 years old. I was a sophomore in high school and my parents were amazing. They were. Um, Everybody else was not so nice, but my parents, my immediate family was amazing. I was able to still play sports, do, you know, activities at the school. I was even homecoming queen. Um, so having my son was made my life difficult, but having the support of my family meant everything to me. And um, that's that helped shape like my future and what I wanted to do. I originally wanted to go to school um, at Clark Atlanta or Spelman. Uh, And uh, those plans changed as my son got older and I needed to provide for him. So I joined the United States Army. I took the ASVAB just to get out of English and I scored like one of the highest in in the state of South Carolina. So all of the branches were looking at me and coming to the school and coming to my mom's house. It was like I was a recruit, right? 
<laughs> they were really recruiting me. And um, I decided with the army, um, joined the army as a, it was originally as a, it's called 74 Charlie. And it was a, like in this, I can say this, but it was like a transmission of top secret messages. So I had to get a top secret clearance, y'all. I was uh, 18, 19 years old when I went to basic training in Fort Jackson. And that was a quick introduction to like, like, wow. Okay. So ever since I was a kid, I would always have measuring points. Like if I could do this, then I can definitely do that. Right. Like, yeah, I already always had measuring points. If I could, you know, push out a baby with no anesthesia, no medicine, you know, I can definitely conquer the world. So that's one thing. Having a baby that young gave me, it gave me the ability to say, oh, if I can do this, I can do anything. But in the military, let me tell you, when you're in basic training, when they are pushing you to your limits and you're exhausted and you're running off of um, very little sleep, a lot of physical activity, um, hurry up and wait. It is definitely stressful. And um, although basic training wasn't a breeze, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. So one of the main things in basic training was, well, it's three top things that you have to accomplish. You have to pass your PT test and PT stands for physical training. You have to climb this wall and repel off of it. You have to be able to fire a weapon and at least be a marksman. And you have to go through night fire and this um, ridiculous obstacle course. Oh, it's four things. And you have to pass the gas chamber. So um, those are like the four requirements to get through basic training, right? And repelling, eh, that was easy. You know, you just follow the instructions and do what the drill sergeant asked you to do. Firing a weapon, that was same thing. You follow the instructions. I did very, very well on that. And, you know, you do your thing. Then the obstacle course, yeah, <laughs> it was ridiculous because it's like they chose the obstacle course on the day that it rained or they made it muddy. It was so ridiculous. We had to um, do a ruck march. That's putting a rucksack on your back and it had to weigh a certain amount, like 40 or 50 pounds. And you had to low crawl through barbed wire. It was just like straight ridiculous. And I was like, if I can make it through this, I can make it through anything, right? So I made it through it. And I was like, wow, yes, I did it, you know. And one thing about me in the military, because it was like when I joined in 1998, it was like they were still yelling in your face and cussing at you. So I never wanted them to see me as being weak. Um, because being a woman in this male dominant field, you, that's a whole nother episode we're going to have to talk about, but I never want them saw me as being weak. I always completed all my runs, did my push-ups, you know, all of that stuff. I always felt like I had something to prove. 
one thing that like almost broke me down was the gas chamber. Okay, that gas chamber. Um, people were preparing us. I think that Joe started was putting a little bit of fear in us, but it was crazy. So we had to line up for the gas chamber. We had to um, clear and seal our mask to make sure that we did it properly and then go into the gas chamber. Then you had to take the mask off, right? And then you had to like answer whatever ridiculous question the drill sergeant had. That way you can suck in the gas and it could burn your face because like you, um, your sinuses, if you had any congestion or anything, by the time you left that gas chamber, you were clear. You understand me? Like it cleared out everything. I think it was like pepper gas or something. So when I survived that, I was like, oh, I could do anything. <laughs> so that was a basic training. I went and I think basic training back then was nine weeks, I think. And um, from basic training, I went to what they call AIT, and that's like advanced training. So that's where you go to get trained for the job that you chose. And uh, since I was IT at the time, that's what it was basically called. And it converted to, I went to Fort Gordon. So I was only two hours away from home, one, uh, one hour and a half from home during basic and two hours, you know, for the advanced training, AIT. AIT was a different animal, you know, there were a more relaxed environment. That's why I actually learned my job. It was, you go to school every day, literally. We worked on computers every day. We learned our job. We had to test out. So it was different. It was way more relaxed um, than basic training. And that's where you got your assignment, like where you're going next. And it's called permanent party. So once you're finished with all your training, you go to your permanent duty station. And um, the army tricks you because it gives you like, a wish list, like where would you like to go in this world? And I don't know why they give you this wish list because nobody ever gets <laughs> to go where they want to go, where they choose. And um, I got my duty station, y'all, and it was Germany, Darmstadt, Germany. I slid out of my chair. I couldn't believe it. I was like, Germany? I was so blown. My heart was broken. I did not want to leave my son for that long. Like, I, it was Germany. It was Europe. I was so, so, so afraid. I was like, I cannot believe that I'm going to Germany. Like, Germany? Europe? It took me landing in Germany to wrap my head around, like, that I was really going to Germany. And that was my first ever plane ride I've been out of the country to the Bahamas but that was a cruise so that was my first plane ride and it was eight hours and 55 minutes I flew Delta and they were and still are amazing to the troops so they knew it was my first time flying how nervous I was I got bumped up to like business class because when you fly overseas you get a different type of airplane so I got bumped up to business class. They really, really, really took care of me because I was only 19 years old. And then when I landed in Frankfurt, Germany, that's when reality hit. 
I was really in a foreign country. Uh, I couldn't read any of the signs. Um, they were speaking German. And if anybody has ever heard German, it's such a harsh language. It's like, you know, <laughs> the train station is called the Hofbahnhof, you know, and and uh, the numbers are ein, zwei, you know, drei. So it's like, it's really a harsh language. And in hearing all this, I could not wrap my brain around it. I was like, I cannot believe one, I'm in a foreign country. Two, I can't understand or read anything. And three, where in the hell is the USO? So I finally found the USO and um, they got me off to, it's like a transitional barracks or whatever. So they take you from, cause I arrived on the weekend. So they take you from the airport to these like transitional barracks and then somebody from your permanent party duty station comes to pick you up. And um, that started my two year journey in Germany. So I'm gonna save that for another episode because that can take up like <laughs> a whole lot of time. But um, living in Germany, I quickly adapted uh, I, I had to, I don't like being out of control and having other people control where I go and what I do. Yeah? And I joined the United States Army. But I knew that I wanted to get my driver's license. I knew that I wanted to learn the language and learn the signs and at least read the road and know how to navigate, you know, in this country. So... When I got to Germany and got to my permanent party, I made sure that I took the driver's test and studied the book. Um, and it was a long driver's course. I think it was like two weeks. And people were always telling me, oh, no one ever passes the first time. It's a small percentage of people, you know, that pass this test the first time because you have to get every single sign right. Everyone. I still remember it to this day. I haven't been to Germany in 20 years. But um, I still remember what those signs look like. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just ingrained in me. And I can go on the Autobahn and I can drive right now in Germany. So um, I passed the test the first time. And I got my, they call it a useless driver's license. And then I got my um, driver's license to be able to drive the government vehicles too. Because I wanted to know the lay of the land. I always want to know where I am and how I can get out of certain places because I am in a foreign country and just know where everything is. That's just like, I don't know. That's just like a part of who I am. So, um, but that was a, that was a beautiful experience. I was there from 19 to 21 and, uh, yeah, I'm going to save that one for a whole nother podcast, but I, um, served in the United States army for four years Ended up working at Pentagon after I left. Uh, I got stationed at the Pentagon and then I got out of the military and worked at the Pentagon. I was there during 9-11. That's going to be another episode also. And um, after the planes hit the Pentagon, I uh, left like two months later and then got a job at the State Department, the United States State Department. I believe Colin Powell was over the State Department then. So I worked at the State Department um, and this all this time I'm I'm a, a single mom. My son was, uh, he was um, great. <laughs> he 
you know, that, that aspect of life was, was kind of easy. And me and his dad, we co-parented very well. So, um, I worked in as a contractor for computer engineering. First it was help desk and I graduated and went to network engineering. Um, I completed my degree at Strayer University uh, for computer engineering and, um, yeah, so that's that's just like a, a small snippet of, of who I am. I'll get dive deeper into it on like how I started my company and all of that great stuff. But um, yeah, I am a multifaceted. I speak um, a lot of languages, I tell people. I can speak French, bonjour. I can speak uh, German. Uh, <laughs> Spanish, I know phrases from a lot of languages, but I'm not fluent in, uh, I'm only fluent in English and my language, Gichigala, but I'm going to introduce you to more of my life, but I just wanted to give y'all a snippet of who I am and some portions of, the li- of my life that made me the person who I am today, so... Thank you so much for listening to Coils and Conversations with Pamela J. Booker. I really appreciate you and make sure you join me for the next episode.